This is episode 125 of Offscript with Trish Close, intimate interviews with interesting people. And joining me today via Skype, I have Julia Colin Davison. Hello, Julia. Hello, so nice to see you. Nice to see you. You're joining us from uh, right outside of Boston, Massachusetts. You just showed us outside. It's snowy and cold there today. Yep, and a little gray. And a, a little lot gray. Man, that is my kind of weather. I love, I love that kind of weather. You are a chef. You are on a good the, day. On a good day, co-host of America's Test Kitchen. Right? Okay. Yep. We're gonna talk a lot about that, um, especially America's Test Kitchen and kind of how that was created. Um, I've been following you on Instagram for the last several weeks, and I also want to talk about that, especially this hash that you made with duck, oh. duck sausage and then the fried egg. Yeah, yeah, so good. We make hash, I actually just had some hash this morning. I make uh, some sort of hash almost every morning. I read in an interview, that's kind of your thing. If it's like yeah. the recipe's not working out or something, just turn it into hash. Totally, everything makes great hash. Throw an egg on it. That, yes, now that, that I do agree with, throw an egg on it. Where are you from originally, Julia Collin Davison? <laughs> I'm from upstate New York. Uh, well, okay, if you live in most of New York, which is most population is down in New York City, you call it upstate. But actually, it's western New York. Upstate is different. I grew up in Rochester, which is between Syracuse and Buffalo, right under uh, the lake. So we get a lot of lake effects. I grew up around snow. So this snow we have here is nothing. Nothing. We, yeah, we used to go trick-or-treating in this snow. I mean, that was norm. And you used to have sleds for the candy. I mean, like, yeah. And all the costumes were ruined because you had to wear your puffy coat under the costume. And this was the 70s when you had the plastic costumes from Kmart. And they wouldn't, like, fit around your snow coat. And so all the kids are walking around in, like, torn plastic costumes with sleds. I'm, it was, it was, I need a picture. <laughs> I, need, I need to see. I need the visuals on that. Um, I met a gal from Rochester on my honeymoon, actually. This is a, such a random story. And she was a teacher at like a performing arts school in Rochester. Eastman. Yeah. Eastman and school. She pumped out some serious talent at that school, according to her. Yeah, the Eastman School is uh, a wonderful school. It, it, it is a top tier music school, but also um, they're a real part of the community. When I was, uh, I played the cello when I was in high school and I was part of a youth orchestra and we used to practice there. Um, we used to take lessons there and they do, I mean, half or third price lessons for all seniors. So they're just a part of the community. They just, they not only produce great musicians and have great instruction, but they really open the doors for young and old to come just have uh, the choral concerts and then uh, I think my father was in a chorus down there for a long time after he retired so yeah fabulous school fantastic yeah she was naming off all these Broadway stars that she helped teach and I was just like whoa mind blown what was it like growing up in Rochester uh it was great and you know I think I was so eager to get out of there you know when I was in my 20s, but hindsight, you know, it, it's a wonderful place. It's a wonderful place to grow up. It's very, as I mentioned about Eastman, it's family oriented. The whole town is family oriented. So uh, the schools are good. Uh, there's music available to everyone at all times. Lots of snow sports, um, big hockey town. And, you know, back in the 80s, which is really when I grew up there, the bands that would come through there would kind of blow your mind. Like it was, it's such a small, 
city in a way, but everyone's been through Rochester, New York for some reason. Right. Uh, of course, U of R, University of Rochester, and RIT. It's the home of Eastman Kodak, um, and it was the corporate headquarters for Xerox for a long time in Bausch and Lomb. So there is there was big industry around, but it really it's it's um, it's an interesting it's an interesting place. Of course, the Erie Canal goes through. I love I lived just a, two blocks away from Lock Thirty Two. On the Erie Canal, we all had to learn that song in grade school. And yeah, we used to take canoes through the locks. I mean, it's just, it's, a, it's an incredible uh, town piece of history. And um, yeah. That sounds amazing, actually. Um, was food? Yeah. Was, um, well, it's the home of Wegmans. I don't know if you know what Wegmans is. It's, so Wegmans is a supermarket. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. So it's a supermarket. It's it is just a fabulous supermarket. Um, they, you know, the bread is amazing. You can get a, a huge selection of organic stuff, but then you can still go get your diet coke. Like you can kind of have it all. It's not like all or nothing. Uh, the meat's great. The fish is fabulous. The cheese selection is good. Um, and so the the it all started in Rochester. So that's that has shaped a lot of home cooking for me. Is that store just? What they carried. Uh, this, you know, there's a lot of Italian food in Rochester, New York. Mm -hmm. So a lot of pasta. Now, growing up, we didn't go out to eat a lot. There's also the home of white hot dogs, which everyone thinks is crazy. They're called white hots. Um, yeah. Wait, wait, what? A white hot dog. Yeah. So you've never heard of it either. Why, yeah. why is it white? Because they don't put the the junky food color oh. in, in the nitrate. So it's, it's like a different. Real hot dog. Well, yeah, yeah, so they don't put the nitrates in there, but also it's a different mix of pork, I think, so that it's just, it's white. And they're delicious. And you can you can buy them at Wegmans uh, if you can have a Wegmans outside of the area. But in the area, yeah, mm. that's what you have. I did an interview with Sarah Moulton, and we talked, we discussed at length our love of hot dogs. Oh, really? I'm a huge fan of hot dogs. I don't care what people say. I, I love a good hot dog. Me too. Now, are you are you a burner on the grill or a boil kind of person? On the grill. On the grill. See, I'm a burned on the grill person too. My husband is a boil person, so I've learned to adapt the boil person because if he makes lunch, like I'm not going to turn down a hot dog. No way. No matter how it's cooked, you know. Yeah, and I like mine with coleslaw. Coleslaw on top. Oh, I'm. I, yeah, I like a lot of toppings. Okay. I hear you. Yeah. I don't discriminate. Mm. I just I just love a good hot dog. Um, I also love a good supermarket. Talking about the grocery store, some people loathe going to the grocery store. Depending on what I'm going for and the grocery store, I I love it. It is, it's like my library. Yes, I, it's a world of opportunities, mm -hmm. right? It's a world mm -hmm. of flavors, and I love going in there. Well. You have to hit it right. Like you can't if you're going in there for an emergency thing. Like it's in and out. But if you time it right, like don't go at four thirty if you need to get stuff for dinner. Like that's cutting it a little close. Right. Like and I'm already hungry because I probably skipped lunch. And so like then I'm buying everything. Like then it's then I get to the checkout and someone will be like, oh, you're Julia Colin Davis. And I'm like, yeah. And they look in the cart. And it's like it's like potato chips and frozen chicken nuggets. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I got caught in the frozen food aisle. Um, oh, I go. I, so I recently discussed uh, discovered the frozen food section with all the appetizers. I don't know why I've been walking by that section for years, um, and I think it's just being home and COVID. 
and you know just wanting to live yeah. with some food i'm all in on the crab rangoon the egg rolls the pierogies we got these stuffed scallops that they make around Whoa. here so good yeah so um I, every time it's like i've been walking by that section of the freezer for years and all of it's like oh it's a welcome Mm-hmm. And so I'm always discovering something at the supermarket. People ask for advice at the supermarket. You know, before I know it, I'm turning around and giving a lecture on apples for pie, you know. Right. Um, but usually, yeah. But now with the mask, it's kind of nice. Yeah, for sure. Occupational hazard there. I mean, that's, you know, you're, that's who you are. Of course, we're going to stop you and ask you for advice. Um, I, I get recognized here around my little community um, and my dogs eat, they, when they have medicine, I give them squeeze cheese. And so yeah. buying squeeze cheese at the grocery store is highly embarrassing for me. Squeeze cheese is cheese whiz? Yes, yes. Okay, brand name. Yeah, we recently discovered, because I have two dogs, mm-hmm. um, and one of them has to take a good amount of pills, um, and she would never choke them down. Like liverwurst, bacon, we would try everything. Cream cheese. She'll do anything for a little bit of cream cheese. I have no idea. Okay. Um, but we cook our own dog food, actually, for our two dogs. Fantastic. I have, um, I've learned prosciutto. My dog is such a snob. Prosciutto works like a charm. Only the Italian stuff, though. Not the, only the important <laughs> That expensive stuff. Uh, was was food and cooking important growing up for you? Yes. You know, I love to eat. That's kind of how I wound up here. I just, I love flavors. I love to eat. As a kid, I liked the obscure stuff, you know, like I ate herring, I would eat anchovies straight from the tin. I loved beer. Um, I liked those strong flavors, curry. I just, I wanted to go to India since I was a kid because I was like, who invented curry? Like, this is an amazing flavor. And so as a kid, I loved to cook. I loved, I loved working with my hands. Um, I loved working with my dad in the garage. In the 70s, you used to change your own oil and, um, I asked for an oil changing kit and like a rolling pin one year and rubber ears. I don't know what the ears were about. I think I was turning five or six. So oil changing kit. (laughs) I must have been watching like some clown on TV and like, oh, rubber ears are cool. Um, (laughs) But working with my hands was like, I love carpentry. And so food was just kind of a combination of working with my hands and loving to eat. Um, My mother is a fabulous cook. Uh, She cooked every night. I mean, and I just I have so much respect for that now. I mean, every night it was, it was some sort of potato because she's German. Uh, sometimes rice, but mostly potato. Some sort of meat or fish, and two or three vegetables. Like every night, full dinner. Um, wow. Yeah, it's in looking back is really impressive. Yeah, we had uh, we had our own garden. My mother was a huge organic gardener. So, and in Rochester, that's a very short growing season. But uh, we would can all the time, uh, make pesto with all the basil, grow on corn, which was amazing. Um, and so, yeah, I grew up with a lot of good food. Um, my Oma, my, my grandmother, was a great cook. Uh, my Aunt Betsy was a fabulous cook. So all around me were great cooks. Fantastic. People, yeah. I had an Oma, um, and I, I was, too, surrounded by such wonderful cooks. My grandma farmed. We grew corn, and I used to say we she because i didn't do anything i did not contribute to that garden at all um so yeah i I totally feel that and i i do feel i don't know if the sad's the right word but it is upsetting sometimes when you hear someone who's like oh i didn't i never grew up with like mom in the kitchen cooking and that just breaks my heart sometimes yeah it's definitely um 
Well, it takes all kinds, right? Some people just don't like to cook. I mean, my dear friend in high school, her mother said if she's boiling water, she's cooking. So she can open a can of spaghetti sauce and be like, oh, I'm cooking. This is making dinner. Uh-huh. Like, and so it was just a different, it was food on the table for three kids. And it was not what she loved to do. And, you know. Sometimes um, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. So I, I feel, I do feel lucky, though, that I grew up with good cooks and I love to eat because it, it gives me so much pleasure now. For sure, for sure. When did you realize chef school, cooking school, was where you were headed? When, when was that like light bulb? Yep, that's what I'm going to do. It took a while for that to go off. Yeah? That for me. Yeah, I went to college. I studied philosophy and psychology and music, you know, as any chef would. And, um, I, and I graduated with not really very good grades enough to move on to anything mm-hmm. and not a passion to move on to anything. But throughout the last few years of college, I started working at a couple different food places. There was this gourmet store and I went to school in Albany um, at, the, at SUNY, which is a state university of New York at Albany. And there was this great marketplace, which is closed now, but it's called Cowan and Lobel, super high end, uh, amazing bakery, meat shop, deli. I worked in the deli, and then I was taken under the wing of the dude who ran the produce section. And this was a dude. I mean, um, he had a Harley. It was purple with fringe, and you don't, you didn't mess with the produce dude's like cart. You just, didn't mess. but he's like, um, he's like, you should learn how to do the produce. And so he took me under his wing. I got a great Harley motor uh, uh, um, bike ride when I graduated. He took me on a bike ride one day with his pals. Uh, which is a whole other story, and a good one. But uh, I learned about produce. I learned about how to care for it. Um, I worked in the meat department, so I learned the different cuts of meat. I worked in the deli. We made salads. We made, you know, we roasted our own turkey and roast beef for the deli there, and I loved it. It was just natural to me. Again, it was working with my hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I worked in a, um, a small vegan restaurant called Dahlia's, and we made. <laughs> Well, we made ice cream, so I guess it wasn't vegan. It was vegetarian. We made ice cream and hummus, basically, and falafel, and it was it was a great meal. Um, and I worked there for a while. And so when I graduated, I knew I liked to do this. I knew nothing else was really catching. And I actually went to a career services development services. My mother took me to, and they just helped me sort of narrow the field as to what I was good at, what I liked. And they also had these books of possible jobs. And they were just, you know, you would just flip the page and it would be like a different job and they would be descriptions. And I remember flipping it to, you know, culinaries. And I was like, huh, well, this fits a lot of what I like. And so, you know, um, two ways to get into it. You can work your way up in a restaurant. You can go to school. I'm a school type. So I went to the Culinary Institute of America. And when I got there, I didn't have a lot of experience to get in. Uh, all the friends I met there had a lot more experience than I did. So I had some catching up to do, but it clicked. The minute I was there, I found, I made lifelong friends that I'm still super close with. Um, my roommate now lives down the street um, from there. We talk, you know, like, the, these are my people, this is my field. And from there, I just uh, did what I liked. I worked where I liked. Um, I worked at Canyon Ranch, which is a health spa. Um, and that was fun. That was a different style of cooking, which I think is very current. Um, I moved to Napa. I worked in a winery. I did catering. I worked in San Francisco. And then I moved back for a job at Cook's Illustrated when it was just a magazine in 1999. All right. Was there, was there any romance with produce dude? No, no. Okay. Produce dude was a lot older than I was. Okay, I had to ask. 
Yeah. No, there was no. He just a buddy, just a friend. Yeah, just that was kind of the beauty also of working in the restaurant industry is you meet all types, and it is just it's 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 a unique um, set of people who like to work with food, and they come from all walks of life. And you're all, I don't know, you're all on the same team somehow. So you just, you meet a lot of people, you see a lot of different lifestyles, and it's all good. So true. And so that, so I really, I really liked that, that it was so diverse. So you moved back, did you move back east for the job at Cook's Illustrated or, okay. Yeah. So someone I went to culinary school with, her name was Anne Yamanaka, she had a job at Cook's Illustrated. And when I heard she got the job, I called her and said, you have my dream job, just letting you know. Uh, if there's ever an opening or leave, let me know. And a couple months later, she called and said, I'm leaving. Now, she was from L.A. and she was living on the East Coast for this job. I was from the East Coast living in Napa. So basically, she gave up her job and we switched. And I was like, I scooted right in there. Before the company blew up, I mean, nowadays to get a job there, you have to jump through so many hoops. Right. You have to do these um, cooking practicals. You have to write articles. You have multiple interviews. I mean, I went and hung out for like half a day and rolled out some pie They're like, yeah, cool. You're hired. And but then, isn't that, do you look back at that, though, and just think right, right place, right time, or, you know, it was like destiny, or it's like, yep, that's exactly what I was supposed to do in that moment? Yeah. All of it, mm -hmm. all of it. it mm -hmm. Luck, circumstances were in my favor. Um, I was writing, you know, and just that I knew someone who had the job. And I could call and be like, you have my ultimate job. Like, let me know if there's an in. And that's huge, you know. Uh, and so when people reach out to me, I try to do my best um, to get them in touch with a person to see if it's a fit. Because sure. that's, you get jobs from people you know or you get jobs for other people. It's really hard to be unknown entity and come into a work. You yeah, know, for so. sure. And you started at Cooks Illustrated as a test cook, right? Yeah. I did, and that's a that's a glorified name for what I really did. I did the shopping and the dishes, mm. and they chopped some stuff early on, and I screwed up a ton because I was used to working in kitchens uh, that there weren't recipes. Like you kind of the chef taught you how to make it, and then you just did that. It wasn't we didn't measure salt. You know what I mean? Like. What? You don't measure salt. And so all of a sudden I was, I was shoved into this kitchen where everything is really well documented and measured and timed. And so it, I screwed up a ton. And luckily they were patient with me. Um, and, you know, I did the shopping and the dishes. So Fantastic. Um, How did that evolved? Cook's Illustrated evolved quite a bit, right? Well, it's it's a it's a bi uh, a bi-monthly magazine. Mm -hmm. So there's six issues. Six issues a year, um, and it's, we develop recipes, obviously, and then we write a story about the development process. We pretty much use the, for lack of a better term, the scientific method. So we'll test a recipe five different ways, changing one variable to see what works best and why. And then if we have a result that doesn't make sense, we'll go to, you know, we often go to um, our science expert to help us explain what is happening on a molecular level or a chemical level to explain these results. Um, and so when we get to the end of a recipe and it's the best version we've made, we can say why, all the steps we did. And of course we test kitchen equipment, So, and that's absolutely unbiased. We buy all of our own stuff. Anything that's sent to us, we send back. Uh, we buy it from multiple sources to so get multiple lots of production lots of the same item. And then we put, really put it through the paces. 
Um, we have, you know, if you're testing something with a handle, we have lefties, righties, tall people, small people, big hands, little hands, experienced cooks, inexperienced cooks, all using it to give their feedback. Um, so by the time we, we have something, we've tested it every which way. We've abuse tested it through um, the dish room. We have an incredible dish room at the company. But like we have a, a mic, you know, the microplane zesters or the rasp style graters. We were testing them because um, I, won't go to, I won't go into the whole depth history of a zester, but um, the way we tested their durability is we took these things and we had, we used them. And we ran them through the dishwasher like a dozen times. And we used them again through the dishwasher. And then we plunged it in and out of a full crock of utensils. It's like 20 times. We did this over and over. Like it just abused the heck out of it. So by the time we get to a winner, we can honestly say this is worth the money. And so people love that about us. Um, and, of course, we take no advertising. Right. Uh, it's the, our the testing the recipes is fantastically nerdy. How fun. But it also, also I would I would think you have to be super as a chef. You would have to be super patient in that process because I know I love to cook, and at some point I'm just like, oh, just I'm done with this. Like, eat it. Yes. <laughs> well, I, you know, and if you think about it, it's what most home cooks do. You make something once, and then the next time you think, oh, if I do this, it might make it better, or you get a different ingredient by accident, or you're missing an ingredient, so you're substituting, and it works better or worse. You get a different brand, and as you go, it gets better or worse. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of, that's what we do, but you're right. I mean, we cook these recipes 30, 50 times and, you know, on your 50th time of eating sauteed tilapia, you're like, yeah, tastes like tilapia. You know? <laughs> but the, the amazing thing is when you cook something over and over, you get to know it in a way, um, that is, it's, it feels so natural. Like you've got to understand the food and it's different than making dinner in that, I'll back up. When I first started working there, I was like, these people just stand around. Like, they're not efficient at all. They're just standing around watching the food cook. Like, that's not how you work in a restaurant. Like, and it, it took me a while. Like, that's the point. <laughs> We're standing around watching the food cook to understand how it cooks. So um, that's a different mindset than just cooking dinner. Yeah. I was just going to say, you have to change your mindset in that, in that space. Yeah. And in fact, I think um, I, there's two for my brain there's two different sides of the brain one is a cook from the hip side of the brain and one is a cook from a recipe side of the brain now most people are one or the other right either a free form. Now, what are you are you a free form cook or a cook from a recipe you're nope. free form i yeah. don't i use recipes for inspiration and i just kind of go oh what are you putting in that and then i do my own thing yeah yeah like that's a nice idea <laughs> i'm gonna go over here and do this so but when you work at the test kitchen you're you're writing recipes that are accurate for recipe follows, but you're also there because you're by the you know from the hip sort of person. So I'm creative at my desk when I'm thinking about putting a show together, what recipes would be there. When I'm thinking about flavors and developing a new recipe and pulling in techniques and figure out what would work. But then when I print it out and I go into the kitchen, I'm a cook from the recipe. I'm a cook from the paper. I have to do what the paper says. And if the recipe goes wrong, you have to let it go wrong. You can't fix it. You're not fixing dinner. You're testing what you wrote. And that's how you make a recipe that works because this recipe has to work for whoever. There can be no very uh, few reasons for other people to reinterpret what you've written. Um, and in fact, all of our recipes after we're done, we send them out to over, I think we have over 65,000 home recipe testers across the country who do it on their own time, on their own dime. They get about one recipe a month. And we send you a recipe and you buy the stuff 
and you'll make the recipe and you'll fill out a survey. And the survey is, you know, did the recipe work? Could you find the ingredients? Could you understand the instructions? Could you have used a photo to help you understand what the instructions were? And then on, on the survey, the most important question is, would you make the recipe again? Hmm. And every recipe that the magazines publish need to get an 80% yes, I would make it again before it gets published. And if it falls under, it goes back into the test kitchen with all the comments and why it didn't work at home. And even if it passes, we look at all those comments because we can make a recipe work really well in the test kitchen. I mean, we've got 40 test cooks, we've got dish assistants, people shopping, but the value of a recipe isn't whether we can make it, it's whether people at home can make it, right? So, and the only way to do that is to have home testers. Uh, if you want to become a home tester, you can go to our website, and at the bottom it says um, on americastestkitchen.com, you can become a home tester. And it is just valuable information. And it's a neat group of people too. I'm gonna, gonna. I'm gonna do it. Yeah. How fun. I have so much respect for recipe writers because even even my stepkid, he was like, I need all your recipes. He moved out of the house. He's like, I want I want a, you know, a Trish cookbook. And I said, yeah, for sure. I'll try. It's so hard to go back and go. I'm like, I don't know how much fill in the blank. I don't know. A handful. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And if you add on top of that, they, they're working with a different stove, mm -hmm. uh, they're working with different equipment, and they're working with a different sense of get the skillet hot. Well, what does that mean? That means something different to you than to them. And so, right, having to nail down those specifics right. uh, is really interesting. Yeah, it's like, you know, how, how hot do you want this? I'm like, I don't know, the middle, the, the knob, the, the dot in the middle. Yep. <laughs> yeah, know. what's heat on every stove is totally different. For sure, yeah. Um, Wow, that's so fascinating. That's that's a lot of work, Julia. It's a lot of eating, and I'm really good at it. Really <laughs> um, I read in an interview, people, probably I'm assuming friends, don't like to cook in front of you. And I can abs absolutely imagine why. I know, it's such a bummer. I love when people cook for me. Because <laughs> you don't have to. Uh yeah, I just love to see how people cook and what their natural instincts are and what their flavors are. Um, uh, but I mean, I remember one time I went to a friend's house and she made, um, and we, I have a daughter and she was about eight at the time and she had two kids and um, she made tacos, turkey tacos. And I watched her dump turkey white meat into a dry pan. It was like a dry, not a nonstick. It was like kind of one of those in the middle green pans. So it was sticking a little bit. And she ripped open the, the packet, she dumped it in, a little water, and she looked at me and she goes, what? I was like, yes, go, no, 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 I wanna watch. Like, yeah, yeah, just cook. It's just, yeah, it's fun. I'll eat anything too. Yeah, I, I'll anything. Um, really? Mm -hmm. I, I have I will say I'm not I'm not that way I'm I'm a little I'm not super picky actually I'm not picky at all but I will try I will try anything once but I don't think I would say I eat everything. Well, yeah, that might I might I might overstated that. <laughs> I mean, I like to think I'd eat anything, but really, if you presented me with something seriously uh, new and that would you know I might I'd taste it. Sure. Yeah. Would I eat a whole bowl of it? I would try if you were watching me. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> do you cook at home? All the time. All the time. So you don't uh, get burned out. No. And in fact, being home during this whole pandemic, I'm cooking more and more, and I found sort of a 
um, I got, you get tired. You go in and out of, you know, um, what you want to make. And, uh, but I was sort of reinvigorated now that I'm home and cooking more. Um, I mean, I don't think I've made lunch in years. And now, like, now it's a thing. We make lunch. And so we are making these crazy sandwiches. My husband made sausage the other day, so we could have sausage. We made sausage and peppers and onions on a roll. Like, we're making some serious lunches. And it's so much fun. Um, yeah, I love trying. I'm trying a ton of new things, probably because I have the time. You know, sure. I have the leave time to order these spices from Penzi's to then go make, you know, a lamb or goat rogue on Josh, which, you know, I've never really made before, but it's fun. So, yeah, I, I, I've been reinvigorated. I've been we've doing been similar, like just projects, cooking projects, I call them, where it's an all day thing and I'm home all day long drinking wine and cooking away and my husband's there and we're taking pictures and we're putting it on social media. It's just fun. It's just fun. It's one of the, and it's, yeah. And, and now that we're all home, like it's the fun that you can still have at home. Now, what have some of your projects been? So, uh, my stepdad's from Texas and I made Texas chili, Texas style chili a couple weeks ago, which according to him no has beans. no, no beans. No beans. No beans. And I've heard from other fellow Texans, they're like, yep, amen, honey. Um, so that was a fun project. And then, what's, I'm sorry, what? This me. They probably use like a chop, a shoulder cut, right? Uh, top, I use top sirloin. And oh, you, you use top sirloin? Yep. You uh, cut it up into teeny tiny cubes and you mm -hmm. cook it with all these spices and tomato uh, uh, tomatoes and you just let it simmer for like three hours until it's basically falling apart. Nice. Incredible. Last weekend, I did short ribs. It was a recipe from Michael Chiarello. And huh? grill, brined, grilled, and braised short ribs. And that was a project. Brined short ribs. I've never heard of anyone brining a short rib before. Same. Because it's so marbled and fatty. Right. But it must have tasted great. It was really good. The brine had so... I've, I don't brine things a lot. And so I was a little overwhelmed by... It was a buttload of salt. It was scary. Yeah. yeah. Was it salty at the end? It was, uh, it was, it was actually perfectly seasoned. Oh, there you go. There were a, few a lot of things when you and then put it on a grill because the meat's a little on the wet side, it absorbs more smoke flavor. Interesting. So, yeah. Interesting. You're probably, you've gotten obviously from America's Test Kitchen, obviously learned so much about the science side of food, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, it, it's it's so interesting to troubleshoot things now uh, because I can think of, you know, relatable, uh, why, why would you brine a really well-marbled piece of meat that you would normally braise? It's not for tenderness, right? Because that shortens are already tender. So it's either for flavor or, the, or something else. But if it was for tenderness, why, do, why brine? Why not just salt? And so the, what is the water doing? Exactly. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it's, and that's what happens when you cook something over and over, even to home cooks. You cook something over and over, and you realize it only happens this time, not this time. And you kind of, you get a sense as to why. Um, but, you know, so I think we just take it a step further and understand on a molecular level what's happening. Yeah, but I, I would say a lot of us home cooks out there, we don't think on that level. Yeah. We just get in the kitchen and cook, and I'm not going to think about, I, well, and I'm not, 
I'm not a math person at all, and so science just scares me anyways. It's fascinating to me, but I don't I don't want to know why. <laughs> I just want to cook it. You're also not a follow the recipe kind of person either. And so then is that other mindset. If you're kind of cooking from the hip, um, if you just, you know, a little bit of why the brining does what it does, you don't need to understand it on a deeper level. But a lot of people who follow the recipes also like knowing the nitty gritty reasons why for every step. So it's, it's you're a different kind of cook than uh, that other kind. But that's why America's Test Kitchen is so popular and so successful because there are so many people out there like, why? Why is it doing this? Yeah, and understanding the why for a lot of people helps them become better, more confident cooks. And being more confident in the kitchen is the whole goal here, right? So. What have you found, um, I love asking chefs this question, for, for home cooks, what are some of the main mistakes we make? What are we doing wrong? Yeah. Uh, not temping things. Uh, an instant rate thermometer, key piece of uh, equipment. Um, our winner, uh, now there, any, any instant rate thermometer you have, any digital thermometer is good. There are some great ones out there. Um, they're on our website. Uh, they can cost anywhere from thirty to hundred dollars by this one brand, which is um, well, I'm blanking on the name of the brand. It'll come to me. A Thermapen. That's the name of the brand. Thermapen. Um, there's Thermapen, which is hundred dollars, and Thermapop, which is thirty dollars. But once you start temping things, once you know the temperature, when you cook bread, that bread should register around two ten before it's done. When you cook chicken white meat, it needs to be one sixty. Dark meat, one seventy five. Salmon, one forty five. Pork, one forty to one forty five. Medium rare, 120. Once you know these, and it's just a handful of numbers, all of a sudden, every time you cook something, it's done perfectly. And so that is something I think home cooks don't do. There's no shame in temping whatever you're doing. Hmm. And hmm. it'll just take your cooking from zero to 100 instantly. It's impressive. Um, so that's a yeah. Those numbers, you rattling off those numbers, that's very impressive, Julia. Yeah. You put a cheat sheet on the inside of the cupboard door. Fantastic. Yeah. I love that. Um, do you get feed? I'm sure you get feedback from the show, but what kind of feedback have you gotten in the last several years where you're just like, like you're making a difference in someone's life? Because when you become confident in the kitchen, as you just said, it really is a game changer. Yeah, um, a lot, uh, a couple different ways. One, we find that our instructions are so well written that it's really easy for people with different learning styles to follow along and learn how to cook. So, and I've, there's a lot of that that I hear that is really um, hits my heart. Um, there's a lot of couples who meet over cooking um, using our recipes. So they fall, they like, they, you know, one of the days they just, they heard, they both like America's Tiss Kitchen and then they started just cooking together and that's how they fell in love. I'm so, oh, one, yeah, one couple had like an ATK style wedding, which was awesome. Uh, we sent a bunch of cookbooks. Um, and a lot of people who are recovering from a variety of physical ailments um, need a project. And so this has happened over and over. You're, you're learning how to reuse your hand. You're learning how to move your body around. And cooking is a great way to rehab yourself. And so we have a lot of people who uh, come visit us in, you know, and, and just say, you help me get back on my feet, literally, and find... Um, joy in a in in a way that I hadn't done before. 
because these people, you know, if you're working on a job and you get injured, suddenly you're homebound and you and they've never cooked before. But suddenly they're getting more confident in the kitchen as they're rehabbing and using their brain and their muscles. And so those those are the three stories that just always hit me. Yeah, that's so yeah. lovely. That's so lovely. Do you consider yourself more of a cook or a baker? Cook, mm -hmm. absolutely. I bake, but man, baking requires patience. Uh, yeah, give me a hot skillet any day over a cake pan. Yeah. Also, I don't even, I don't care for sweets. Do not care for cake. Do not care for cupcakes. Do not care for cinnamon rolls, sticky buns. Like I like a good cookie every now and again, and and sometimes a good tart with some good fruit. But beyond that, no. I, I also don't care for this stuff. Yeah. So okay. So that's another thing. Um, I'm the same way. And, uh, I had this discussion with Sarah Moulton and she said, that's kind of it. If you're not geared toward, if that's not your motivation, sweets aren't, I, I don't want to bake sweets cause I don't like to eat them. So I'm going to, I'm going to be a cook. Yeah. Yeah. And bakers are traditionally follow the recipe kind of people mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you can't tweak it as it goes. You put it in the oven and it's gone. You know what I mean? You can't, you can't steer it back on the rails if it goes off. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's a different part of the brain. Yeah. My husband, I was telling him about you last night. And in that interview that I was reading, it said, I go, yeah, she doesn't like cake. And he go, he's huge sweet tooth. And he said, I don't think you can trust her. <laughs> <laughs> he's not wrong. <laughs> and I agree with you. Don't make brownies from scratch. There are lovely boxed brownies that you can just whip up with eggs and vegetable oil and they're delicious. Ghirardelli brownie box every day. Yes. That is the one. I love it. Yep. I'll make the raspberry sauce. That's cool. But I'm not making the brownies. No, no way. You know, um, that's like my favorite dessert is brownies with vanilla ice cream and raspberry sauce. Mmm. Yum. Like that's what, if I have company, that's what, that's what you get. <laughs> so we have recently hooked on, uh, what's it called? Affogato. So vanilla ice cream with espresso and whipped cream. And then I like to throw in chunks of brownies with the ice cream. Ooh. Ooh. My mother taught me this dessert where you take ice cream, good small thing of ice cream, and you pour a little brandy over it and then you sprinkle it with instant espresso. I know. It's so good. It is no work involved. <laughs> Wow, there's a local winery here that does the affogato, but they also do ice cream with port poured over mm -hmm. it. It's delicious. Yeah. It's fantastic. I like it. Talking about testing recipes, I gotta know, and I know it. I know they've happened. Major faux pas in the kitchen, where you guys were just <laughs> like, "Holy, oh, yeah. why? Yeah. What just happened?" Yeah. So yeah, I mean. We, we go, we crossed that line a few times. Um, uh, well, the first time I watched anyone just screw up, it was Adam Reed, who's the equipment guy on the show. He, um, he uh, used to develop recipes, and one time he wanted to know if you could make roux for gumbo in the microwave. Um, you can't. You shouldn't. <laughs> Let's just start there. So he had Pyrex with the fat and the flour in the microwave for a while, like it was a dark room. And he took that sucker out and he put that Pyrex on a counter and there must have been a little water on that counter and it was it was just bullets of hot roux and shards of glass everywhere. It was like a it was like a gun was going off. We're like, yeah, so that's not a good not a good plan. 
Um, <laughs> oh my, I just, that hurt my stomach a little bit. <laughs> the second time I watched something really go wrong was this poor guy who, uh, <laughs> he was asked to make a fudge recipe, a true fudge, but uh, which is making candy and you need a thermometer, but he was asked to do it without. So, uh, the poor guy, you can't, you can't accurately judge when fudge is done without using a thermometer. He made hundreds of batches of judging. Fudge. He got rotator cuff issues. He quit shortly thereafter. Um, and we never published the recipe. I was just like, oh, dude, throw in the towel on the fudge. He's like, got it, I got it. Um, um, great freelances. He's, he didn't hate us, but. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's yeah. good. That was bad. I saw, I think it was on Instagram, your co host, Bridget, putting a pizza in. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Was that? Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, that was um, that was maybe eight, ten years ago, right? But so she was making pizza, and it's this fabulous pizza recipe where you let the dough rest overnight and develops all these great flavors. And under the lights, it's really sticky and hot. So if you're icing a cake or working buttercream or working with yeast dough, that can get sticky. You got to move kind of fast. And so she was assembling the pizza on the wooden pizza peel. And using a lot of corn star, uh, cornmeal, she wanted to stick. And she was uh, she was told to really jam it in there to make sure it didn't stick under the hot lights. She did. She used all the cornmeal and she jammed it in there. And she used so much cornmeal, you could see the pizza just like continue to slide into the stone and then off the stone in the back. And we had the convection on, which is this big fan. So all like all the cheese and sauce went into the fan and the convection. That oven smelled like pizza for years after that. Um, it was so funny. With the whole, you know, we had to shut down production for a good hour while we scrubbed that oven off. That was pretty much the only oven on set, so you could get the cameras in. I was gonna ask who cleaned that oven. Uh, wasn't me. <laughs> She, you know, is, is pretty accident prone. And usually, quite frankly, it's my fault because um, I'm a super messy cook. I remember this one time uh, way early on in the filming. I was making stir fry. And so I, around where I was standing on, on set, there was just like this semicircle of food scraps and uh, oil from the skillet. You know, I was just standing in the middle of a mess. And... Um, but the camera can't see that. You really can't stop and whatever. So I was done. I left. And she came on to my cassoulet. And she had these gorgeous old cowboy boots with slick leather bottoms. And needless to say, she went down holding this Le Crusade Dutch oven, the seven and four one, full of cassoulet. Her boots went up. She went down. And then she got up. She didn't spill a drop. The thing had never, like, left balance. And she's like, Julie! I was like, my bad. Sorry about that. I'll clean up next time. Oopsie. Uh, I was going to ask you, I wrote this down. You guys test cookware? What's yeah. Your, what's your favorite? I got to know. Uh, for just pots and pans? Sure. All clad. All clad, all clad, all clad. And um, I say that for two reasons. One, those pots and pans usually win our tasting, our testings. Um, I haven't eaten it, so I've never really tasted the all clad. I'm sure it would taste fabulous. Uh, I just called it a tasting because we also taste test uh, ingredients. Um, and so I get them uh, tastings and testings. I also screw them up. So uh, all clad dough, I got a set when I graduated culinary school in 1997. My 
my parents bought it for me. It's still what I use today. I mean, the stuff, you can't kill it. Mm -hmm. um, and at culinary school, that's what we used to use at the Culinary Institute of America. And I watched those pans get abused. I mean, burned to a crisp. Little Brillo, they come right back. Uh, so obviously, I'm talking about the, not the anodized ones, just the stainless inside, stainless outside, so you can scrub it with Brillo. And uh, you can't go wrong. Now, that's not nonstick, though. I would not buy all-side nonsticks. It's too expensive. And nonstick cookware is temporary. You know, that's not going to last forever. As soon as that nonstick coating begins to degrade, you really need to get rid of it because that coating can get your food. So for nonstick, I like OXO, OXO skillets. And I go through the three sizes. I have an 8, a 10, and a 12, and I replace them every year. Wow. But they have, they're, they're – um, the OXO, yeah, it, they hold up. The coating is good, I think, up to 450 in the oven, even though I don't really do it. The handles can go in the oven. And they're really, they're just sturdy. Okay. So, uh, I'm a yeah. huge fan of Le Creuset. Huge. Yes. It's just yep. such a good it, product. Yes. Well, and they stand by their product. I mean, if, if something goes wrong and you send it to them, they'll fix it or send you a new one. Like, it is such a great product. Um, and if you're getting a Dutch oven, buy it once, buy it right. Um, so I agree, although I love all clad Dutch ovens and I have two of them, the Le Creuset sits on my stove all the time because it's too heavy to put away too, but and I have a tiny kitchen right. and it's a cool color because that's the other thing about Le Creuset. It's like a rainbow of color options, which is so fun. Tell me about it. Oh man, I'm, I am such a kitchen stuff whore. Like I just, I mean, I, I want all the pans. I want all the wine glasses. I, anytime I see something, my husband's like, where's that going to go? And I'm like, oh, I will find a place for it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love the stuff too. My basement, my kitchen's tiny. Um, and so what stays up here is just the, just the daily stuff. But I have racks in the basement of equipment, funky pans, you know, the stuff that you only use once in a while. Um, but I, when, it come, when it comes to pots and pans, I'm, I'm all in. More yeah. than Eric. When it comes to gadgets, I'm minimalist. I don't like lots of little gadgets. Um, just mucking up my drawers. Yeah. Like I have what I like, and it really has to be a good gadget for me to bring it, like to to make room for it in the drawer. Okay, so what's in your gadget drawer then? I don't know. You want to go see? Yeah, let's go. Yeah, field right. trip. Field trip. All right. So here. All right. This is here. This, well, this is super I'm about to fun. See all my dishes. Okay. I won't judge. I will not judge. <laughs> yeah, I, so there are all the dishes from this morning's hash. All the cupboards are open. All right. Can I just say I love your sink? Oh. Look at you. that, people. That faucet is by Kohler. They're a sponsor of our show. Yay. Yay, Kohler, Wisconsin. All right, so here's the gadget drawer. Okay. All right. What do we got in here? Uh, a million pairs of scissors. Because scissors have legs in my house, I just they just walk away. So I have a zillion pairs of scissors. Uh, can opener. Let's see. Oh, yes. So this, poultry shears. Hmm. Do you have poultry shears? I do not. <gasps> for, for cutting up a whole chicken? Yeah, taking the backbone out, cutting wings. Oh. Okay. Okay, so poultry shears. They are insanely sharp. Um... And yeah, uh, I buy whole chickens and cut them off all the time, and then I save the parts to make stock. So uh, yeah, these are crucial. All right. Oh, garlic press. So any, um, I know how chefs say, oh, you should always mince your garlic. No, I, I use a garlic press. 
That's I'm just a press kind of person. Okay. A zillion colors because I go through a handful a day. Oh, my mermaid bottle opener. Everyone needs one of these. She's a, nice. A mermaid bottle opener. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crucial. Um, let's see. Oh, um, a champagne <laughs> saver. Mm. Yes, this, this this actually made it into my drawer. Um, I worked at Domaine Chandon in Napa when I lived there. And I crushed grapes. And um, when you work there, you get bottles at a discount, especially the misprints. So I wound up drinking champagne with everything. It was like a dollar. If you've ever had buttered popcorn and champagne, it is the most amazing pairing. So anyway, so that's why champagne and drink culture. Oh, here's the um, here's the thermopen. I have two of them. Okay. Because they're that important to me. Um, yeah, super sharp. Instantly tells you your temperature. Mm -hmm. Oh. This is a new one. This is the Zero ice cream scoop. We go through a lot of ice cream. I've been through a lot of ice cream scoops. My daughter is my tester, and I've thrown a lot out. This one is keeper. This is the winning one. Um, let's see. Oh, strawberry color? Oh, yes. Oh, I love this tool. Um, I love it for tomatoes and strawberries. Okay. Let's see. Um, oh, we got some. Um, these are great. We eat a lot of lobster because we're East Coast. Of course. Um, lobster. Um, let's see. Oh, spring-loaded scoops. Very important. Yep, for meatballs and uh, cookies. Of course. Oh, wine opener. Those are fun. This thing's good. Let's see. Um, let's see. Um, some chain mail. This is for cleaning cast iron skillets. You know, I just was looking those up the other day um, because I have a cast iron pot from a grandma that's a little dirty. Do you uh, like yeah. that? Love it. Absolutely love it. Chainmail. Um, and let's see. That's kind of about it. Excellent. And these things, measuring things. Of course. These are amazing, by the way. These are OXO. They, um, they have magnets, so they hang together. Oh, that's great. They, yeah. That's it. That's, that's good. My, that, that's my drawer. That's a good drawer, Julia. I like that. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I was going to ask you about, uh, I just noticed, I think it was on America's Test Kitchen Instagram page, about eggs. Mm. There's like so many different ways you can you can cook eggs. Yeah. It, oh, I eat eggs every day. So it was about hard-boiled eggs, actually. So what what is the key to the perfect hard-boiled egg? Not to boil it. It's to steam it. So Ju that's Julia Child's method, right? Is it? That's she Sarah steams her I'm almost positive. I can look it up. But uh, Sarah Moulton told me Julia Child, does. she never boiled her eggs for hard-boiled eggs. Oh, well, uh, uh, that's good to know because we um, that's our preferred method, too. And uh, the woman who developed our hard-cooked egg recipe, she tried every method in the book. She candled her own eggs in the bathroom with a flashlight at work. Like, she got to the science of egg cookery. And um, steaming eggs, um, even, whether you have a steamer basket or not, steamer basket makes it easier. 13 minutes. Steam, bring, the, bring the water to a steam. Add cold, large eggs from the fridge. This timing is for large eggs that are cold from the fridge. Add them 13 minutes. Wow. And then wow. plunge them into ice water, leave them there for five minutes. And then the sh not only are they perfectly cooked, but the shells fall off. Absolutely. You look at them and the shells fall off. So, um, <laughs> and that's <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And that's because of, that's the highest temperature you can cook eggs at. So, 
Has yeah. any has anyone ever told you you should do stand up? No. <laughs> Bridget, yes. Me, no. <laughs> you're so funny. Aw, you're nice. I feel like I've just been <laughs> giggling this entire interview. So unprofessional. Um, we will wrap up because I don't I don't want to steal all of your time today. Uh, but before we get to my final three questions, what's for dinner tonight? Oh, my, well, this is one of those things. I'm making lamb loin chops because I had to have them at the store and they looked amazing. Uh, but I don't think my daughter's going to like them. And plus, they're kind of expensive. So she'll have a little. But for her, I'm making chicken teriyaki skewers. Yum. How old's your daughter? So, yeah. She's 12. Okay. And we have a rule. She has to try anything once. But, you know, I'm not going to make her. And we've had a couple nights in a row of not her favorite food. So I'm feeling kind of bad. Gotcha. You know, she's she like, thanks for making this. And yeah. she she doesn't complain. She's a, she's a good kid. But uh, so I'm making, yeah, I'm making a little something for her tonight so that she'll have a nice dinner. I have nightmares from when I was probably about 8 or 12 sitting at the kitchen table and I couldn't leave until I finished the hamburger. And I hated hamburgers as a kid. Weird, yes, right? me too. Yeah. I remember the same thing happened to me. We were um, at the picnic table outside and my mother looked over and the burger was gone. She's like, what'd you do? I was like, I ate it. And she like looked under the table and there was the burger. She's like, really? You had salt for that? I was like, I don't know, uh, maybe. Yeah, hated, maybe. hated hamburgers as a kid. I, what was it? Well, also my, my mother never believed in hamburger buns. So you were lucky if you got a piece of bread to go with it. Like it was just burger on a plate. <laughs> <laughs> and it was always overcooked. And, oh. Overcooked, that's mm -hmm. what, and it was just this like, hockey puck of beef and I just ugh. burnt hockey puck of beef like oh yeah. really yeah but I now, now I, I can eat a good I could get, eat a good cheeseburger every single day yes now do you grind your own meat have you ever done that no oh dude okay let's try that do you have if do you have a meat grinder if not you can do it in a food processor it doesn't get Use gummy no, no. What you do is, um, and there, you can play with the kinds of beef. I would use a little bit of short rib and a little bit of chuck. Short rib burgers are amazing. Um, buy boneless short ribs. Uh, cut them up into like inch-sized pieces, cubes. Freeze them for about 20 minutes and then pulse it in batches and dump it out on a cookie sheet. And then you can pull out any big pieces of gristle and get rid of them that didn't grind. And then you can season the whole thing and then you lightly pack them. Oh. So good. Or make a smash burger from that. Okay. Weekend. That's my smash. weekend project. That'll be Have my you ever made a um, That's where you just like put in the ball of meat in like a cast iron and smash it down. So fun. And you it can put uh, some thin sliced onions underneath and then they kind of like get really brown underneath the burger. Style burger. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's about really loud in here because my dogs are home. Oh, it's all good. It's all good. We, we will get to the final three, but that will be my weekend project. And I'm going to tag you in it on Instagram. And it's your yes, idea. Please, yeah. please do. I will. I will. All right. Final three, Julia Collin Davison. Uh, best advice you've ever been given? That advice comes from my mother, who, um, and it works for me every time. And, and the advice is when things go wrong, when no matter what kind of wrong, um, put your head down and get back to work. Just, and it, every time things go wrong, I think of that and I put my head down and get back to work and things iron themselves out and I'm working. Uh, so that's my favorite advice. That's really come in handy for America's test kitchen, I bet. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What's your happy place? My happy place. Um, is it bad to say the shower? (laughs) (laughs) I take like two, three showers a day. I love being in water. Like if I, if, um, so if it's, uh, in the summer and we have a cabin on a lake and I'm in that lake, I just like, I like swimming. Uh, but being in the Northeast, that's not always possible. Gotcha. So uh, my place uh, is probably swimming in the lake, Gavin. Do you sing in the shower? Yeah. Doesn't everybody? Yeah, I would hope. <laughs> I remember once as a kid, I was singing in the shower. I was like five or six. And then later that night, the neighbors were like, oh, hey, we heard you singing. And I was like, oh, I guess I left the bathroom window open. Yes. Um, so Little Mermaid. That's I, I sing Little Mermaid in the in the shower maybe two three times a week. Wow, I don't know that song. I'll have to learn that. It's a good one, especially in the shower. Uh, <laughs> final meal, final drink. What would that look like? Oh, final meal, roast chicken and potatoes. It is my favorite favorite. We have it at least once a week at the house. Um, just a perfect roast chicken, perfect roasted smoky potatoes, and a nice oversized glass of Pinot Noir. <laughs> that my gosh i'm just gonna have that tonight i don't think i'm gonna do lamb that just sounds really good <laughs> my kind of woman i love it if uh anybody has any sort of questions about america's test kitchen i just popped online and america's test has, has its own website they can follow you on instagram they can follow america's test kitchen on instagram you guys are pretty much everywhere yeah, we're everywhere. A lot of our shows are on YouTube now, mm-hmm. and also Pluto. All of our all of our episodes are on Pluto, and I'm actually uh, filming a new show, which is yet to be named. Something about me cooking at home, cooking with Jules, Jules at home, something. And so uh, nine episodes will drop onto Pluto uh, sometime this June. How exciting! Yeah, we start filming next week. So in your crossed. in your kitchen, right here. Okay. Are there, are, are you nervous about that? Sure. But I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's edible food. You know, it's food at the end of the day. And teaching people how to cook and uh, is just fun. So fantastic. Well, speaking of fun, you have been loads, loads and loads of fun. Yeah, likewise. It has been so nice to hang out with you this past hour. Yay. Fantastic. If you are uh, listening to this podcast and you like it, subscribe, rate, and review. It helps other people find us, and you can find it pretty much anywhere you like to listen to your podcast. You can also watch it at ktbl.com. And on YouTube, just look for Off Script with Trish Close. One more time, Julia Colin Davison with America's Test Kitchen. Um, look for those shows coming out next June. This June, I mean? Yep. This June. This June. Fantastic. Thank you. One more time. So, so much fun. I appreciate it. Yeah, nice chatting with you.